You are listening to the Reality Church Ventura podcast, a collection of sermons from our weekly Sunday gatherings. To learn more about reality, visit us online at realityventura.com. My name is Tracy, and I have the privilege of leading a community group with my husband, Kevin. And today's scripture passage is from Luke 7, 36 through 50 from the NIV. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. As her great love has shown, but whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is God's word. Thank you. We are continuing our series through the parables in the gospels called the stories of Jesus. And today we come to a very interesting parable where the power is found not only in the story itself, but in the context in which it was spoken. And we're coming to this asking the question, what changes me? And I think that you will see why as we dive in. Let's pray together and let's invite the Holy Spirit to speak to us all. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are aware of and concerned with everything about our lives. We ask this morning that you would speak into our lives, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would truly change us from the inside out. We pray that you would reveal any areas or decisions that would keep us from change. As you draw us near to Christ. May our hearts be transformed. And for those that don't know you, we pray that they would come to know you today. Holy Spirit, would you be our teacher? We ask in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Well, it's been said, anyone can change, but not everyone does change. It's an interesting phrase because we all recognize 
some kind of change needs to happen in our lives, and we are certainly sure it needs to happen in the lives of others. But whether or not these changes will happen is the question. When it comes to Christianity, the message is all about a radical life change. And yet there are many who have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and do not change. Why? There are many who come to church. There are many who hear the word of God. There are many who understand theology and yet are not changed. Why? What makes the difference between people who change and people who don't? I ask that question because today we are exploring an account of two people, both of whom are in the presence of Jesus, and they hear his parable, they hear his teaching, but only one of them is changed. Why? And what does this teach us about our own change? These are the questions we bring to a dinner table in Luke chapter 7, where Jesus teaches a short parable to a very unlikely group. It's worthy of noting that it's often around a table that many scenes in the gospel accounts take place. I love that. So down to earth, so relatable. As we all know, a meal is where some of the greatest and perhaps even some of the hardest conversations have taken place. And in the ancient world, the table was so much more than that. It was more than just a casual meal. The people that were in your home, that you welcomed in your home, the people that were around your table was also significant because it was about status. It was about belonging. And here in this story, it's almost as if Luke, the author, is testing us to see how we would react at this meal with these very different people. And in that sense, the table is a test. But when we listen to Jesus, the table becomes a teacher. And so if we listen to his teaching and take it to heart, we can not only learn about true change, but we can become changed people. So what is it that we learn from this meal? How are people changed? What's the difference between why people change or not? Well, I want us to look at this under three headings, three reasons that people are changed. And the first is this. We are changed by the invitation of Jesus. We are changed by the welcome of Jesus. Look at verses 36 to 38 again. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. The host of this meal was a member of a elite religious group in the first century known as 
the Pharisees. Many of you are familiar with the Pharisees, and you know that in a moment I'm going to throw the Pharisees under the bus, but just settle down for a minute. Because not all of the Pharisees were completely opposed to Jesus. Many times they were. In fact, they stand out as some of the greatest enemies of Jesus in the Gospels. But this particular Pharisee welcomes Jesus to his house, which is very interesting. See, there were several streams within the Pharisaical movement. The majority we would call like extreme conservatives. But there were some who were a bit more open, wanting to hear more about this person that everyone had been talking about, Jesus of Nazareth, who claimed to be the Messiah, that is the fulfillment of all the scriptures prophesied about God sending a savior, the very son of God. Word on the street is he is a prophet. So Simon, we're told his name in the passage, he wants to see for himself. And so he invites Jesus for a meal. It's emphasized three times in this story that Simon is a Pharisee. And keep in mind what the Pharisees were generally all about. They were not only considered the guardians of Jewish conviction, they were considered guardians of Jewish culture. Here's why that mattered. Because in their day, their convictions and their culture were under attack. The land of Israel had come under the control of the Roman government. And so their whole way of life was under threat. The Jewish land had been, in their view, defiled. They were living under Roman occupation. But at least they could keep their homes pure. At least they could keep their tables pure. And that is why Simon is so shocked when this uninvited guest arrives. And even more shocked that Jesus welcomes her. For as the text says, she is a sinful woman, most likely a prostitute, the commentators agree. There's no doubt that she was loitering around the common area of the home, as many would in that day. And although she's not directly called a prostitute, it is certainly implied in the description someone of whom Simon or another Pharisee might say, she is part of what's wrong with society. Here we are living under Roman oppression. We are trying to live morally upright lives in Israel, and she is ruining everything. And she comes in, and to his surprise, Jesus welcomes her. Now, at first glance, many of us are okay with that. We love a good turnaround story. The prostitute can come in. But look more closely at what's happening in the story. The details, it's almost uncomfortable. She comes in. 
She doesn't just sit at the table. What does she do? She begins to weep. So much so that she washes the feet of Jesus with her hair and with her tears. And she takes this flask, this, this jar of perfume, and breaks it over him. It's, you can imagine Simon being like, what is happening right now? Why is it important for us to pay attention to these details? Well, I would like to suggest that Luke is telling us this story because in many ways, we are in it. On the one side of the table, you have the host, a person who's worked really hard, who seeks to be morally upright, seeking to live a a pure life. Maybe some of you can relate. And then on the other side of the table, you have the uninvited guest, someone that society would view as damaged goods. She's broken all God's laws, no doubt, whereas Simon had tried to keep all of God's laws. Again, she could have been perceived as the one who's what's wrong with society. Maybe you can relate in many ways. They could not be more different. But what makes this story interesting that sets us up to hear the parable is also what they have in common. What do they have in common? What does this Pharisee and this prostitute have in common? I want you to notice this because it's key to the lesson. Both of them are there to see Jesus. Simon wanted to see Jesus. He invited him to his house. This sinful woman also heard about Jesus, wanted to see him. Both wanted to see Jesus. Both the Pharisee and the prostitute were in the presence of Jesus. Both of them were right there in the presence of the Son of God at the table. And both are listening to the teachings of Jesus. Look at what they have in common. And yet, only one of them is transformed by Jesus. Overwhelmed with gratitude. While the others, detached, confused, and maybe a little bit upset. Why does this matter for us? Because, like them, we are, by the power of the Holy Spirit, in the presence of Jesus. Right now, we're hearing the words of Jesus. And I anticipate that you're all here to seek Jesus, unless you were dragged here for Father's Day, in which case, welcome. (laughs) We're glad that you're here. You're like, I was brought here against my own will. I just want to be clear. In either case, we're all here. We're all listening. We're all in the same place. And yet, listen, every one of us will end up either like Simon or like the woman. Both are there. Only one has changed. 
I point this out because there are many who would say, some of us might even say, what is being a Christian? Being a Christian is someone who's studying the teaching of Jesus. Being a Christian is someone who's trying to follow the law of God. Being a Christian is someone who listens to a, a, a Bible study. And yet here in the story, both are listening. Both are showing interest. In a sense, you could say both of them are in church in the same way that all of us are here in church. The invitation of Jesus goes out to everyone, whether you're the moralistic Pharisee or the sinful prostitute. Everyone is welcomed to Jesus. That's part of how the change that we need takes place in our lives. But it doesn't end there. The real difference is in how they viewed Jesus. So yes, we are invited by Jesus, but secondly, we are changed by the worth of Jesus. We are told several times where this is taking place, in the house of Simon the Pharisee. Luke is emphasizing the location. Simon invited Jesus. It's his home. Simon is the host. Or is he? Look at verse 39. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Now I'm going to skip the parable, and we're going to look at it in the last point. We'll come back to it. But I want you to see how Jesus addresses Simon. For in a surprising turn of events, Jesus not only condemns the actions of the host, he commends the actions of the uninvited guest. Verse 44 through 46. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Jesus is essentially saying, Simon, I'm in your house, but this woman has been my host. She was the one who welcomed me. See, here's the truth. Jesus welcomes all. Amen? Could probably get a lot louder, right? That's good news, right? Jesus says anyone can come. Amen? Jesus welcomes all, but not all will welcome Jesus. Not all will welcome Jesus into their hearts as he truly is. See, here's the difference. Simon seeks to stay in control of Jesus, whereas the woman is surrendered to Jesus. Let me use more specific language to describe the difference. 
Simon, what is he doing? He's interviewing Jesus. Now, most of us in this room have had the experience of being interviewed, and some of us have had the experience of interviewing. If you're in the position of interviewing another, the first rule is you keep your cards close to your chest. You don't show your cards. You stay in control, right? Nobody for their company just goes out and says, we're desperate. I mean, honestly, if you have a pulse, like, we'll hire you. Like, I mean, maybe that happens, but usually not, right? You're sitting there, you're, you're controlling the interview. You're like, how long have you uh, had a fascination in this business? The person's like, oh, I love your company. I just started following it on Instagram last week. Interesting. You make some notes. You're evaluating them. When you're interviewing someone, you're staying in control. The company will rarely say like, hey, off the record, we're desperate. Like, we just need you. Can you just like sign the thing here? You stay in control. And in many ways, though we wouldn't phrase it as such, that's how many people, even Christians, often relate to Jesus. We're interviewing him seeing whether or not he fits the description that we would like him to fulfill. So Jesus, um, it's, it's good to have you here. Uh, how long have you been in the business of being Savior, Messiah? 2,000 years? Oh, not bad, not bad. Um, tell me, Jesus, what is your view on money? Tell me, Jesus, what is your view on sexuality? Because that may or may not determine whether I allow you in. Tell me, Jesus, what is your view on what I should be doing with my time? Jesus, what do you think I should be doing with my career? Interesting. Let's be honest. There are times where even Christians, the way we relate to Jesus is as if we're interviewing. Jesus, I'm weighing you up to determine whether or not I'm gonna let you in. Maybe it's to a specific situation in your life. But if I could say this as clear as possible, Jesus is not someone that you are allowed to interview for the job of Savior. He is literally the Son of God. But now, what would give Simon the impression that he's in control? See, Simon believes that his moral effort his uprightness gives him the ability to be in control. Think about it. This happens in life. What is it that gives us the confidence to demand something from another? Well, it's usually when you've paid for something, right? It's why if you're paying for a service, I mean, my kids have heard it more often than not, particularly when it's our mobile phone service. I don't know what it is. I get charged for things I didn't use and then I don't get the things I'm actually paying for and I get on the phone and I'm like, I need to speak to your supervisor. 
And what's my re- why would I speak with such authority? Why would I speak with such tenacity? Because I paid good money for this. Right? It's the person who, I, I'm the type, if I go out to a restaurant and I pay and the food is not exactly what I want, like, I'm probably not going to say anything. Some of you, even me saying that, you're like dumbfounded. You're like, oh, no, no. You're like raising your hand. I would like to see the chef. I'm paying good money for this. Right? If you paid for something, you feel entitled to determine the outcome. And this is true when we relate to God in a pharisaical way. God, I've been good. Where's my stuff? God, I go to, tr- I go to reality. I tithe. I even signed up for the kids' ministry when they did like an eight-month announcement for it, like I finally did at the 11th hour. Like, I'm doing stuff for your kingdom. Now, here's what I want you to do for me. I've got a list that's unfulfilled. How come you're not giving me what I want? I'm, I'm trying real hard here, God. Where's the stuff I ordered? It's like a taxpayer with rights. Simon is interviewing Jesus. He thinks he's in control. And so his verdict is thir- verse 39. If this man were truly a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. But here's another irony. Jesus is the prophet. And she does know this woman. But he also knows Simon. Simon is interviewing Jesus. But what is she doing? She's worshiping Jesus. Simon is interviewing. She is worshiping. She brings herself to him. What does she do? How do we see this? She breaks this expensive flask of perfume that some commentators actually say was a, a part of, a, a part of her, her job. She had that there. It was very expensive. Worth so much money. Maybe the perfume was used as a part of what she did, and yet she takes it off, and she says, I have a better use for this now. I'm no longer using this for what I was. Her life is changing direction. Her tears, I would suggest, are the tears of gratitude and awe, for she senses the presence of God in the person of Jesus. She's overwhelmed. And in that moment, she realizes and responds, Jesus is worth her worship. So the question, friends, we need to ask this morning is, where are we? Are we interviewing Jesus? Or are we worshiping Jesus? The difference will be in how you value Jesus. That's where the difference will be. Many people say, I just want some Jesus in my life. I need a little bit of inspiration. Maybe you got a bad situation. I need a little Jesus in my life. Take the wheel, Jesus, for like an hour and then give it back. 
But the truth is the way that we ought to relate to the Son of God is by becoming completely vulnerable and giving ourselves, making him Lord over everything. See, friends, the difference between a Christian and a religious person is not, well, one person person is really moral and the other person is immoral, the difference is not, well, one person listens to Jesus and the other person does not listen to Jesus. The difference is this. She puts Jesus in charge of her life because he's worth it. She puts Jesus in charge of her life. Simon treats Jesus like any other guest she treats Jesus like the Son of God. It's as if she's saying, Jesus, you're not just one more thing. You're the ultimate thing. And that is the expression of worship. Jesus, it's not just like, I, wanna, I want you to work in my life so that I can get something else. Jesus is not a footstone to get us to another location. He is worthy of our worship. And that's shown through her surrender. See, every single one of us, we all have, as it were, a flask around our neck, a representation of what is truly valuable to us, representing like the direction of our lives. And it's gonna go somewhere and it's gonna go to someone. So who gets it? Who gets the flask? For some, it's career. It's like, I'm gonna take this valuable thing that I have that represents my life and I'm gonna lay it down at the feet of my career. Maybe it's a particular lifestyle. Maybe it's success or, or pleasure or a particular relationship, certain possessions, status, public approval and affirmation, the love of the crowd, you say, here, I'm gonna lay this at your feet. See, every one of us, like this woman, has the flask, and we're gonna give it to someone or to something. Where will it go? Who gets it? Who gets your heart? It's once been said, for people to truly change, you need to change what they worship. Because whatever you worship will determine what you become like. See, religious people, you use Jesus to get other things, but in Christianity, you're saying, Jesus, you are everything. If you're approaching with a religious attitude, you say, I've been good, why haven't I gotten the stuff? But the worshiper says, I refuse to see anything more valuable than you, Lord Jesus. And though I wrestle with my situation, and though I might be discouraged, and though things may be really hard, I choose to trust you above it all. That's worship. Because of his surpassing worth, we see that he is our creator and our redeemer. That he's the only one that can do for us what no other created thing can do. He is the source of all that is good, right, true, just, and holy. And to respond today in worship, when we see his worth, the appropriate response is worship. We say, Jesus, 
I'm not gonna put any, when I make my list, you're going at the top, always. Even when it's hard, even when I wrestle with it, and you will wrestle, you say, I choose to trust you. Are you interviewing or are you worshiping? This woman saw the worth of Jesus, who he truly is, and responded in worship. But why could she have such confidence, this sinful woman, this prostitute, how could she have such confidence to come in and think she could just be in his presence? And what reason can any of us, regardless of what our background is, no matter how morally good you think you are or, or how much of damaged goods you, you think that, that you are, what gives us the confidence to approach Jesus in this way. What was the fundamental reason for her change and what is the fundamental reason for our change? Well, there's the invitation of Jesus, we're all invited. There's the worth of Jesus which changes us, but the reason we can come in the first place is this last point. It is the grace of Jesus. We are changed by the grace of Jesus. And that's what Jesus is getting at and what sets the scene for this parable. Heard by these two people, both believe in God. What's the difference? Jesus answered in verse 40, Simon, I have something to tell you. And by the way, if Jesus ever says your name directly, you listen. He says, tell me, teacher. He said, two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now which one of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. What is this parable showing us? Well, very clearly, it is showing us something astounding about sin. A parable that speaks to a larger reality. Jesus is ultimately the lender. Simon and the woman are both debtors. What's the difference? Well, some would say this woman needed Jesus more, and so she was more full of joy. But I think here's the genius of the parable. He could have said it a number of ways, but here's the point. Neither people in the parable could pay their debt. Neither could pay their debt, which means legally they were in the same position. No matter how great the debt is in that day, if you were unable to pay, you would both go to debtor's prison. Though in one sense, one debt indeed was greater, both could not pay. Both were in debt. Both were legally in the same position. And this speaks to a wider truth for us all. To everyone, the gospel says, you are all, every one of us in this room, we are all in the same position apart from grace. We've all sinned against God. 
We are separated from him. Spiritually and even legally, before the law of God, we are all guilty as sinners and liable to the penalty for our sin. See, this is what sin is. It's living independently of the God who created you and who governs this whole world. We've all sinned. We all have debt. None of us can pay. Jesus essentially is saying, I'm the lender. All that you have comes from me. And yet you're all living independently of me. The woman was living independently of God, breaking all of his laws. But so is Simon. Simon, entrusting in his own moral effort, was avoiding his need to depend on God. He was his own savior. Though Simon may not have broken as many commandments, he, like all of us, are in the same position. But he doesn't see sin for what it is. Simon thought he deserved a seat at the table. And it's as if Jesus would say, Simon, if you understood the depth of your sin, and the cost of salvation, you would be changed like this woman. Simon thought he earned a seat at the table. This woman knew she did not. She said, I'm damaged goods, and yet I come. See, the Christian is a person who understands this. God does not bless us because he owes us. God blesses us because he loves us. And that difference is monumental. If you think your seat at God's table is earned, then you will either puff yourself up when you're doing good, or you will beat yourself up when you're failing. But if you know that your debt has been cleared as a sheer gift of grace, and that your table, though unearned, is given to you as a sheer gift, it changes everything. Verse 47 to 50, therefore I tell you, her, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. And Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Your faith has saved you. Notice it wasn't the woman's passion or the expression of her worship that got her saved. It wasn't her devotion that earned her forgiveness. Listen, the woman experienced forgiveness not because of her love, but because of her faith. Faith is about trusting in something other than yourself. Her faith was in Christ. Simon does not receive this declaration, you are forgiven, because he doesn't ask. This is what transforms us. When we see the depth of our sin, how bad it is that we cannot pay, and yet the greatness of God's grace, how? In forgiveness. How does a lender forgive? 
by paying for the debt themselves. And that's what Jesus did for us. He is the lender, the one who gives us life. We've sinned against him. We're all in debt. But when he came into this world, he died on a cross in our place for our sin to pay on our behalf. This is grace. He gives us a seat at the table that we don't deserve, and he treats us like adopted sons and daughters, fully accepted and forgiven. Grace is highly offensive to people who don't think they need it. But to those who know they need it, it is the most glorious thing in the world. None of us have a right at the table with Jesus, but we all have an invitation. And until we see that we deserve nothing and yet we've been given everything, through Jesus, we won't be changed. But if we do and we see the worth of Jesus and receive his grace, we will. And Jesus says to us when we receive from him, go in peace. Because Jesus paid the debt, friends, you are free to acknowledge your sins and your shortcomings and your failures without pretending, without lying, without wearing a mask, without doing what many of us do. Oh, I had a bad week. I'm gonna make up for it this week. Oh, I'm gonna kill it this week, Jesus. Just you wait and watch. Hey, forgiveness is available. No, 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 I'm gonna earn this one, Jesus. I got this. I just needed a down payment. I'll pay the rest. But we all have a debt we could never pay. And yet Christ says, you are forgiven through what I've done on the cross. That's why confession in our service is so beautiful. In a moment, we're gonna take communion. We can confess our sins without fear that we're gonna be rejected for our sins because Jesus paid for our sin. That's why you can be honest about your past. Some of you feel like damaged goods this morning. Guess what, if that's you, you have a seat at the table with Jesus because of grace. And if you don't feel like you belong here, well then I don't belong here because I certainly didn't earn my place at the table of Jesus. I was damaged goods, and yet Jesus saved me. Nobody deserves to be at the table, but everyone is invited. Have you received that invitation? Do you see the worth of Jesus, that he is worthy of our surrender? And have you received his grace by which you are forgiven and seated with him? Because friends, if you do, if you know that, and if you're living like it, when you see how Jesus has given you a seat at his table, you'll be looking for ways to invite others to his table. From damaged goods to showcases of his grace. There's a story of a pastor who was visiting Hawaii for a conference. And he was working and serving so late that it was like two, three in the morning by the time he was done and he wanted something to eat, so he finds this diner, and the only place open was one of these like 24-hour diners that we would call a greasy spoon. And he goes in to eat, but to his surprise, the only patrons there were him and a bunch of prostitutes at 3 a.m. and the cook. And he couldn't help but to overhear the conversations of all the prostitutes at the diner. 
And he overheard that one of them, I believe her name was Agnes, she said, it's my birthday tomorrow. And all the other women in the room started mocking her, like, nobody cares about your birthday. She's like, well, it doesn't matter because I've never had a birthday party in my life anyway. And they all leave, and the pastor pays for his meal and says to the, to the cook, hey, do you know these women? He says, oh yeah, they, they come in every night. We've known them forever. He says, did, did you hear that she has a birthday tomorrow? And he's like, yeah. So the pastor says, why don't we throw her a birthday party if they come back tomorrow night? And the chef was like, oh, okay, sure, that's weird, but yeah, let's go with it. It's like, great, I'll be back tomorrow night. We'll get a cake, we'll do the happy birthday thing, and we'll do it before, do they usually come in at the same time? Yeah, they usually come in at the same time. Great, we'll do it. So the next night, he comes early, they do happy birthday, they bring in the, the birthday cake, and sure enough, around 2, 3 a.m., this whole crew comes in, and there's Agnes, and everyone says, happy birthday. And word on the street got out who knew Agnes. They all came and showed up, and they all sing happy birthday to her, and she's absolutely overwhelmed. She says, I've never had a birthday party. And they said, well, you can cut the cake. And she says, true story, I don't wanna cut the cake. Can I put it in the freezer? I've never had a birthday cake before. I just wanna save it. And everyone's like, sure. Yeah, yeah, you can, you can. So she literally takes it and she leaves to go put the cake in the freezer before she returns. Which leaves a moment for awkward silence as there's the pastor and all these prostitutes and the cook. And the pastor, not knowing what else to say, does what any pastor does when he doesn't know what to do, and he says, why don't we pray? <laughs> so he prays in the middle of this diner, prays that they would all come to know Jesus, prays that they would, pray that they would know his grace and the love of Jesus Christ, and says amen. And then the cook grabs him and says, wait a minute, you never told me you were a, a preacher. And he said, oh yeah, I forgot to tell you that part. He said, well, what church do you belong to? And he said, well, I belong to a church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 3 a.m. <laughs> because I believe in a savior who takes damaged goods, forgives them, and brings them to his table as showcases of grace. Who wants damaged goods? Jesus does. And if we realized our debt and the cost that he paid for us, we too will be changed. So receive that and take everything and put it at the feet of Jesus. Give up the control. Worship him for who he is. And you will be changed now and forever. Let's pray together. Father, I pray for those here who have the posture of interviewing you, determining whether or not they will invite you into their lives on the basis of what they get out of it for a greater cause. I pray for those who've never received Jesus Christ as Savior, I pray that right now they would be overwhelmed by their need for grace and by the fact that you've given it to them in your son, Jesus Christ. I pray that right now they would believe and be saved as they say, Jesus, you are my savior. And Father, I pray for your church. If any of us 
are not fully surrendering to you, not seeing you as ultimately worthy, would you change us, God? May your Holy Spirit reveal the magnificent worth of Jesus to our hearts. May we see our desperate need for you, Lord. Free us from that posture of interviewing and turn us into worshipers now. Will we lay everything at your feet because of who you are and what you've done? And I pray for those who feel like damaged goods, thinking that they can't have a seat at your table. May they know even now that it is by grace you have been saved. It is by grace that we are forgiven. It is by grace that we are changed. It is by grace that we are made new. It is by grace that we are accepted. It is by grace that we are adopted. I pray that they would experience that radical healing and freedom. Would you do this work in us all that we would see and savor Jesus, truly worship your son, that we might go in peace. Holy Spirit, will you speak prophetically to every heart in this room as we respond in Jesus' name.